Hi everyone, Emil Garcia from Boundify. I'm really happy to be here today with a couple of good friends, Tim and Robbie. I will introduce them later on. Today we are going to talk about recent changes on Safari 14 and intelligent tracking prevention. I think that's the name of the feature and what it might mean for marketers and advertisers. So uh, really excited to have these great guys here. And um, I will start with you, team. Little introduction, and then Robbie. And then if you agree, guys, we can dive right into the topic of at least what we know and what it means. And it will be awesome. We're having you here. Awesome. Thank you. Yeah. So as Emilio said, my name is Tim Laurie. I'm the founder of Tip Top Search and Marketing. We focus uh, primarily on SEO. And with that, it's everything from the technical side of SEO through to content strategy, working with several national brands, e-commerces, and then today syncing up with partners like Emilio that we, we do paid work with and new things that are always impacting the marketing. Awesome. Thank you, Tim. And Robbie, if you mind on presenting yourself, that would be awesome. Hi, everyone. I'm Robbie Fitzwater. I don't have video on today and commuting from one place to another not necessarily safe to do that with with video on but my name again have worked in marketing for about 12 years now started off mainly in the social space building communities growing communities and working with clients to grow in social moved into into the e-commerce space in the last two or three years and have just been working with different clients mainly on email on the e-commerce side and also work at teach at Clemson University in the MBA program. So a little bit of everything and just enjoy marketing as a field. So excited to get to talk, excited to get to talk shop about it today. Awesome. Couldn't be more excited. The three of us and Laura, we get together and have this long coffee conversations on, from time to time, not with the COVID and all that's been postponed, but we have, we really enjoyed the time and I'm really happy to recreate this on the show. Let us dive in right away on the topic. This all started with a conversation uh, or an email thread that our team started a few days ago with the recent update on iOS. And Depending on what you're going to share today, team, I think it's something that's been brewing over the years from Apple and from the industry over in general. And it's been, for me, it's been a back and forth between privacy and obviously measurement and attribution on marketing efforts and performance. But anyway, it made the news and it kind of had some implications for sure. What I intend today is to hear or learn from what Tim's perspective as an SEO expert from Rob's perspective and what I know so far and like between the three of us, see where is this heading, Tim? Yeah, so there's a few things that, you know, for myself, when I say that I'm thinking more so my clients and whenever you, you think around marketing or any good digital marketer should always be thinking holistically. So from an SEO standpoint, it doesn't stop what I do, but whenever I start working with partners like yourself, we're there's a page strategy and especially in e-commerce where paid can be in a very effective method of quickly driving traffic to the store, getting those conversions and leveraging the content that's created. All of a sudden we're generating these new leads through content, but are they able to retarget them in the same way with paid or is that now something that's being inhibited through the tracking? And again, I think privacy is extremely important to the user, but in, 
this case, it's something where Apple is essentially defaulting those terms on the user versus some form of opting into it versus maybe other browsers where those privacy methods exist, but the user has to go in and basically turn on that functionality. So it's a different approach to it. I'm thinking more from around that perspective of the retargeting and what can that look like and will that impact somebody's conversions and sales that they could be getting out of content or some of those other traffic driving methods that aren't necessarily first-hand conversion pieces of, of content versus like going to a product page or something like that. So that's where I've been trying to research around and it's still, it's on that edge of just being still new enough where a lot of people don't fully have the answer as to what that might look like. And the other side of it is what percentage of the site's traffic is actually coming from Safari. So that's the other area to look at because if the traffic coming to the site is 95% Chrome users, then it's not going to impact you. But if it's a client and I have one specifically that is very Apple heavy with their traffic from iOS, mobile devices, Safari browsers. So they're just using the out of the box Mac or iPhone. And for them, if they have 50% of their traffic coming from those sources, is that going to impact their paid campaigns and the performance going forward from here? So yeah, I'm pushing that over to you guys. Help me out here. (laughs) (laughs) That's great. That's great. Now, I want to start from a user perspective because that's how I usually frame these kind of changes for advertisers. And you will tell me if you agree or not. Just to have a little bit of context, we are talking about the, the matter, the part that I think mattered the most is that just as any other thing in the internet and in the marketing world, cookies is starting in a good way. They had a very valid purpose and they still do, which is if I go to a website and I do some things, especially as you were saying in commerce, I, it's a nice thing to be able to put something on the card or to log in or to visit some pages and the, the website being able to remember what I did and take it from there and start doing, have, doing things. However, because all that technology, it was, I think at the moment, just putting some text on the browser, on the computer, very open and not that regulated, then it deviated into something else, which is, I think is the case of the matter here, which is now I have this website that is tracking my behavior on the website, which is good. But if I go to another one, then, then they start tracking you too. And for me, that is like the point that Apple is trying to make is bringing awareness as when, ha- when, the, when it happens to secure websites, right? Some, some companies have them and some didn't, but the moment that you start putting a padlock there on green or putting a, a red signal, then you make the user aware of it. And that's pretty much what's going on is a lot of people, I think they are not aware of the fact that websites are tracking their behaviors. And some of them might say, and I, I'm on the fence on this, I want to be tracked because if I'm going to see any ads at all, I want, I want to see ads that are relevant for me or just random ones, right? That's one thing that you will lose if you lose tracking. You will still see ads. The only difference is that it might be completely unrelated to you. And I have a say on that anyway. But I think that the change what he's bringing is awareness. And the other thing that he's doing is giving the user the power to decide if they want to be tracked 
and at what level. I think that's one part of the conversation for sure. And however, if there's any indication of what's going to happen in the future, I think very similar to some things that I've seen in the past. At the time, I didn't know why, but for some months now, maybe a year, I have seen, for example, from Facebook, this suggestion from their pixel implementation to move the pixel from a third party to a first party cookie. Because part of the rules are if your cookie is a first party cookie, meaning the, the domain that is reference form comes from your from the website that you're visiting, then the rules are slightly different, at least for now. That's what I understand. So they have been preparing the, like the answer from, from months ago. The same with Google. I think if you can, if you can put the information about the user from on the URL on the query or send, send the information back to the servers and you don't store it on the computer, I think you're still allowed to do that. So I think whatever little window or opportunities left, Google and Facebook are going to take it. I don't know, Robbie, from your point of view, especially from the e-commerce side, do you have any things that you see? So in a 10,000 foot view, I like when I learning about this and hearing where it's coming from, it seems like it's part of a larger positioning strategy for Apple in the last like few years where it seems like a lot of different platforms and a, a, larger, a lot of the larger tech companies around are planting their flag in one particular space. And it seems like mm -hmm. Apple is really digging in on privacy. Apple wants to be the who you think of when you think of privacy in a digital space. And they're really moving in a in pretty strong direction towards that. And like to Tim's point where it's going to be the default browser for most mobile devices. If you're a if you're living in the United States and you have over and you earn over a certain amount per year, you're likely using an iPhone. It's really going to impact a lot of people because when they have their default browser settings, they're not really going to change them. Some people who use the devices more consistently and know what other technologies are around, but the standard out-of-the-box user is likely going to use those kind of out-of-the-box default settings in trying to understand this. Privacy is becoming a bigger and bigger concern for a lot of people. I think there's a lot of like skepticism and kind of a reason for it in a lot of different areas across the internet because people's privacy has been abused in some cases and it's coming to the limelight a little bit more now. So I think that's going to be something that people want to be aware of. And Apple's kind of taking the first steps in trying to position themselves as a leader in the privacy space because they're selling a hardware product that they want, to, they want people to feel secure with as opposed to people listening to their conversations on their phone. From the marketing perspective, it's really fascinating because I think it puts a lot of onus on marketers to really step up their game. Like Emilio, you mentioned, from a first-party data perspective, it's going to make everybody have to work a little bit harder. I think we're going to see a little bit more emphasis placed on an own strategy. So how do you build an audience and maintain that audience when you can't retarget as easily or can't like, follow them around as easily? So you're going to have to have a few different listening posts and a few different ways to gather data, to gather insights, and then to hopefully like, communicate with those perspectives current and prospective customers on a consistent basis. Again, coming from the email side, I think it's a fascinating space because ideally if you can get that person's email, you can communicate with them all you want. 
there are some other things that are going to make it a little bit tougher in some cases, but I think it's going to put more pressure on businesses to really understand how their funnel works at the top and to be able to capture some kind of information, some data, and then ideally work to manage that relationship in a longer term. I think I mentioned, I mentioned this to someone else earlier too. I, I think it's going to take businesses, I think, putting more emphasis on a really strong lead magnet so they can convert that traffic earlier in that process. If they only get one or two shots, they want to do that early with less opportunity for affordable traffic coming back in. I think there's more emphasis put on that lead magnet. So maybe paying a little bit higher acquisition cost and really trying to make, maximize that lifetime value on the other. Yeah. I think Robbie, you're breaking up a little bit. Do you hear him well, Tim? So it's, it I think from coming both, in especially on the e-commerce space, which is growing. One second. I apologize. Let me mute myself. Let me work on trying to get back into audio through calling in and I'll hey, go on myself. Yeah. Hey, I, however, something that you mentioned is relates pretty well in the advertising world to, to the email analogy that you use there. Like all the spam rules and having permission from the users to send an email. If not, you're sent to the spam folder and being able to unsubscribe. I think that while it will hurt for a little while, at the end of the day, it creates a better experience for everyone, not just for the user, but also for the, for the marketer and the advertisers. Because when you get people on your funnel that opt in to your communications, then you get engaged people. And that will happen again. It's, I know that it might sound crazy, but some people might end up saying, I'd rather have targeted ads than random ads. And those few that decide that they want to see uh, something that is more personalized, even when they are, because for me, there are two parts of the issue is one thing is you are tracking me to personalize and, and better offer and offer me better things that are really relevant to me. But the other portion is, however, I really want you to, I really want the companies or the platforms from prevent the advertisers to actually not know who I am, but to pinpoint a person. So it's got to be diffused. And I think that can be accomplished to some level, somehow. How do you have this best of the two worlds? I want something that is relevant, but without losing privacy, without exposing everything in front of, you know, a stranger kind of thing. So I think that's going to, what's in the going happening is that the user experience will be improved because now you will have either people that um, are really looking for personalized advertising or not at all. And the other thing that it changes is timing, which is part of the rules too. Because I can tell you, I can tell you from my own experience in Google display, in display ads, you can retarget someone for 540 days. That's, and I've never done it. I've never run a remarketing <laughs> campaign for that, but you, you could. And someone yeah. is doing it. So that makes no sense is if you want to remark in someone because they put something on the card. Yeah. You remarket them for seven days, 14 days, 30 days. Stop. After that, yeah. you got to stop. That sales is not going to happen right now. You got to, you're hurting the brand. Actually, if you keep doing it, you just wait for the user to re-engage re and then you have another shot. I think that's also part of the changes is limiting the, 
if someone visited a, a website and visited again the next day, then you still have the option to remarket. But if they yeah. just stop, then you should do the same. Yeah. Do you think on, so e-commerce, the short remarketing span makes sense where it's two, three, four days, if the person hasn't popped on it, odds are they've either went on to another brand and purchased or they've decided they don't want it. But on B2B, which is a side that you do a lot of, there's obviously a much longer cycle to the sale. So that display ad that shows periodically over the next three months, if it's something that typically has a six or nine month cycle to get a sale, is that going to hurt for B2B type yeah. advertisements? You guessed the other portion of the conversation that I wanted to say is the other thing that I believe is going to happen is that, well, the user is going to have a better experience. They will not be followed that much and they will not feel this awkward feeling of someone is following me around. The, definitely a thing for, for the short term, the advertiser is going to suffer because they will lose data. However, the ones that are going to have a better time, I think, actually are the platforms. Because now that you mentioned display, that's a good example. Back in the day in display, usually your knobs were the website domain and the content that you had on the website. You had little information about the person that was on the website to see the banner. And especially the, the, the part that is the more important is if they were in buying mode. For B2B, for example, it's important, right? Because the buying decision is long. So you really want to know if that person is right now looking for a CRM. Because if they are not, it doesn't matter how many banners you show up, they will not be engaged. I think nowadays platforms like Google and Facebook and LinkedIn have gone very good at measuring behavior. And they do that internally on their own platforms. They, if they have information from the websites from third parties, that's great. But I think they are sourcing data from many other sources. And for example, for Google, in display nowadays, usually you have more success with something called custom intent, which is like looking back on the search history of a user. And if they have the keywords that matter to you, then the kind of website that they are in, or if they have visited your website in the past, passes to a second row. Because mm -hmm. I will be more interested on someone that is actively searching for a B2B product right now, even if they have not visited the website, than someone that has visited the website, but is not really searching for the product anymore. Right? So here's just kind of throwing another loop in there. So I'm going to use SEMrush for the yeah. sake of it. So it's a, a tool that many marketers use. I pay for it. I've been using it for years, but some reason I always see their ads. Yeah. So for some companies, the display ads can also position them defensively. So if they're retargeting or following you around, it's preventing potentially one of their competitors. If you've read content from an Ahrefs blog or something like that, and Ahrefs is only doing seven days of following you around, whereas SEMrush is there for months, does that then even though I'm not going to click on it, it's just making them have the appearance of they're the bigger brand because they are just every site that you go to, they're constantly there. And even though I'm with them, 
they just, it's that brand exposure over and over and again, just coming from a different viewpoint. Not that I think that it's right. I get more frustrated with than I do not because I'm like, what a waste that they're spending this, but at the same time, there's that brand exposure sizing and that's on the, the B2B, not so much on if you go to Nike, see a pair of shoes and for two days, they'll follow me around and then they're gone. So. No, it's, and I think changes like this, it's, it's, it's been a wild ride on advertising. And I don't know if you see the same on SEO, but I think the lure at the beginning of digital advertising when things like tracking and measurement and attribution were something that digital brought to the table that traditional advertising couldn't, the, a lot of focus went into attribution and therefore the importance of remarketing and pinpointing if it's a customer or not. So it was really focused. It, it is still really focused on performance, but I, I've been following some podcasts and all that. And I think that if not, if it's not flipping, at least there's some return on, especially on digital on doing branding, because what I have seen so far is that sometimes it's justified to retarget a customer or someone that is actively looking, actively using the product just because you wouldn't consider that effort performance. It's just going to be branding. I want to be present. And like you said, it's still in the opportunity for the competition to show up a banner. So it's de defensive in that way. And I have seen it more. So I think that, that what cookies and, and general tracking brought at the table initially was the promise of attribution. And I think as the tools evolve and privacy matters more, what digital will promise, it will be more about a lot of segmentation, but not necessarily, not necessarily that exact attribution that you had on the past before everyone was aware that, hey, wait, to have that attribution, I need to be follower around all the time. And that I think is going to be less and less common as the time by, but we will not lose the idea of a banner for your eyes. A lot of things can happen to, to things like display or tracking on Facebook or LinkedIn, but because we keep using their tools for free, they keep profiling us and the promises is still there. Even if you cannot, even if you cannot follow someone through every website along months to have that segmentation that allows you to, to show a billboard to just a handful of people. And I think that's how it's going to evolve. I don't know. Yeah. Yeah. I also, one other part, and Robbie had mentioned this, was Apple is very much, they're using privacy as part of their marketing, which is their thing to set themselves apart. But it's done in a way where, again, I, I want to be clear that like I'm all for privacy. Like I think that there's a level of where marketing can become creepy. And at that stage, like nobody likes it. But at the same time, when something like this is pushed out, but there's no, almost like a, there's no conversation between them and Google. It's like each person becomes their own island where they don't communicate. So it's okay, now you figure out how to make this work on your end. And I feel a little bit where it's like whenever they pushed out the iOS 14, but none of the developers had noticed, hey, by the way, you got to get your apps up to date because we're rolling it out in 12 hours from now. It's the same kind of thing where it's, hey, the new browser is now out ahead of the actual operating system. And by the way, Google, 
you don't have all your ducks in a row for this to work for people on your platform. So I feel like it's an interesting way, whether it's their effort to force Google and marketing into how they see that it should be done, or if it's them working on something in the background, which ultimately they might roll out as a thing. And that's just going down a different direction, but whether or not Apple might start offering a better advertising alternative for Safari. Again, my mind goes down. No, but you mentioned something really relevant because it's true. Uh, so far we have saying, we have been talking about the impact for the user, for us and regular users. And you do have the impact uh, from, for the advertisers that will have to come up with new ways to target, right? And uh, acquire data. And then you have the impact for the platforms like Google and Facebook, but we are forgetting someone. And, and the other group is the publishers, right? Where the ads are displayed. And yeah, I think that's a, a huge impact too, because they are forced to, if not completely change, at least revise their business models, creators yeah. of content that rely on advertising. And I believe that one of the good things about remarketing is that because you wanted a specific people, doesn't matter what website they are, then you pay premium for, the, for that audience on whatever side they are. I, it's my guess that a good website that attract a lot of people were able to command a higher bidding right on the ads versus random website they have, not that good an audience. And now that's going to change. And the same goes for apps is if advertising dollars uh, go away from apps on iPhone, then they will have to revise their models. Definitely for sure. And I have seen some good ones, good and bad. At the end of the day, someone got to pay. Yeah. I feel again, all of the platforms and Robbie, you might be able to refresh me, but Robbie gave me a book and it's essentially, it was looking at Apple, Amazon, Facebook, and Google. So basically like the four giants that are out there and how each of them ultimately are eating into each other to basically steal share from all different things. And in this case, you talked about the publishers. So Apple has Apple News and they have Apple News Plus. So if publishers start to lose revenue because they're not able to have the display ads working in the proper way, does that onboard more publishers to Apple News Plus, because then they get a revenue stream that comes from Apple News Plus, and it can then be targeted to Apple users based upon the preferences that you set for the feeds that you want within news and everything else. So again, I, always, I don't want to sound like a conspiracy theorist, but I also <laughs> feel like whenever Google, Apple, or any of those large companies do something, there's a longer term intentionality as to why they done that. And it may be the privacy is their big thing, but there's also something that's going to loop you more into their ecosystem in some way that as a user, you become either more dependent on them and marketers then have to become more dependent upon new methods, platforms, or whatever it might be to reach that user. So again, I can't recall the name of the book. Robbie landed to me. It's like a thousand pages long and it's really good. But, um, yeah, it's really Robbie. Do you hear us? Do you read the name of the book or you remember it? Yeah, I'm not sure if he's still disconnected from going down the road there, but. But it's true because for example, the same can be said for games, right? Yeah. Now that Google have, Apple have Apple Arcade, 
it's a possible route for game developers that do not have the muscle to build their own, yeah. buy our coins or whatever you have on our ecosystem mm -hmm. Fortnite. And, and they don't have the dollars to build that and they are losing revenue from ads, then they might jump into, they might jump into Apple Arcade where they might get a cut of if someone plays yeah. the game. So, yeah. so, so can you guys hear me now? Yeah, we can hear you now. No idea okay. what all you heard, but I, I threw your name out there. I joined, times, so. I joined through, I tried to dial in through my phone and for whatever reason I was muted. I was trying to chime in there. I was about to, <laughs> I don't Please want to do, off the road. Um, Help me here. <laughs> okay. So the book is called The Four. It's by Scott Galloway. And it really talks about how each one of those large businesses, like they really are trying to own their particular niche, but then because they're publicly traded companies, they have to grow. So when they're looking at spaces to grow, they really need to find a way to expand. And to your point, Tim, Apple's tr really trying to build out their media ecosystem because at the moment, they're not as developed as a Google, as a Facebook. They don't have that direct-to-consumer relationship the same way through media that Amazon, Facebook, or Google does. They're probably trying to build that out really strong right now because they see that Amazon Prime reoccurring revenue that's coming into a, a biz, like businesses that have that consistent reoccurring revenue. And they want that because they need that to grow. As a publicly traded company, they, they have to have a certain return and certain growth every quarter over quarter. So they really need to swing for the fences and bring on some sort of reoccurring revenue. So it does make perfect sense that they would be focusing on their media offering more and then also because they want to build their own little walled garden, they never, App, Spotify never works on Apple products the way you want it to, or Audible never works on Apple products the way you want it to, because they, Apple has their own version of that they want to focus on as opposed to a, a different e ecosystem. So they, as much as they can lock people into those specific ecosystems and keep them there. So if they can lock people into a Apple media ecosystem, then people are then that's extremely valuable for them as an organization. Mm -hmm. Sorry, I could go on a rant and I'm, I'm sorry. No, um, it's, it's good. And again, it's, I, like I said, I don't want to sound like a conspiracy theorist, but I always feel like whenever large organizations make moves like those kind of things, there's a greater, a greater reason to, as to why they done it. And privacy is obviously what they're staking themselves on, but is it to drive people further into their ecosystem because they feel safer? So then do they turn, to their platform for Apple News and all their things. And that shifts how publishers then reach audiences, how they advertise, how they do things versus the traditional marketing routes. And the same can be said with Google. And another shout out to Robbie. It was, I think, a Seth Godin podcast that you turned me on to, but it was the Do No Evil one where it talked about all the different iterations of Google over the years where they turned people on to RSS feeds. And then once everybody gets into it, they chop them off once they've captured everybody else in another system. So that's another great one. And again, it's those small incremental movements of how large companies determine how you consume and receive things that ultimately change in the space of five years. It's something small now, but five years from now, that could determine how people are consuming content from Apple, just based upon how they get used to consuming and what they expect from privacy and the ecosystem that they receive it in. So again, going out there, maybe on a limb a little bit, but something to think over. Yeah. Yeah. Have you guys read or heard about another great book? It's called, I think it's called, the name is The Switch. I'd read it uh, many years ago. Switch by Chip and Dan Heath. 
they the, the one that talks about how the radio started very open and then the telephone systems and then t TV broadcasting is this rings a bell. It's like the evolution of media and the consumption. Yes. I think yeah. so. Yeah. And I, yeah, I think it gradually evolves and changes and we're the frogs in the pot. We really don't see it necessarily boiling around us, but mm -hmm. yeah. I think it's always changing and evolving for us. And that's one in, in the, on the other end of the spectrum, like as marketers, like we have these challenges and we have these changes that we're always forced to like reevaluate things and, and in a lot of ways burn it to the ground and build it back up again. Cause you can never really get comfortable or complacent because it's always going to change. And large organizations are going to make big moves like this that kind of force you that force a, a little bit of pain in the short term, but probably a lot of growth in the long term too. Yes. And the whole, the, the whole point of that book is that, again, not sounding the future is laid out, but the, the tenant is that this has happened before. That, for example, if you take radio at the beginning, it was an open world where everybody could, in theory, put up a radio station and start sharing their ideas and broadcasting like around. And as more and more people got into, then government and companies and users started to ask for regulation because if you have two bands, you don't want someone competing on the same radio spectrum for their audience, for example. And then you start creating these barriers of entry and then something that start open, it start to privatize and be dominated by a few companies. So I think the internet is going through that same process. It started as an experiment, something very open where everybody could go anywhere. And then you start building the first directories. And now there's a big portion of it that nobody knows because your access through the internet comes from a handful of companies. And some people nowadays, I have seen this more and more, when they think I'm going to start a business, uh, and they think about online, their first thought is not, I got to get a website. It's just, I will build a Facebook page or even just to start a Facebook group because the barrier of entry on the, what the old way of setting up a website gets bigger and you are lacking the audience because you don't have access to the directory. You are seeing this privatization or like closing the openness and more and more control over a handful of companies. And I think the, the idea of the book is that it happened in the past. It might happen this time, probably, but some, a new medium will come. Something that will, again, will be the Wild West and everybody will start experimenting. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you kind of see this, you see it as like a microcosm of like social networks where yeah. they're always something new and something evolving. And eventually that platform matures and where it becomes a, a stable platform. But early days, it is Wild West and just everything goes. And it's fascinating to see maybe the internet as a whole, it probably takes a lot longer, but maybe reaching that level of maturity and kind of our ways to get access to the internet. They're through Apple devices. They may be through Google Chrome. Like they, they not own the rails, but they own access to a lot of our access to the internet in a lot of ways. And think of our kids, right? The, the way that they see the internet is through the app store and right through, and the way they see how you get content, it's not that you go around and look for anywhere. You go to a few places, you go to Netflix, you go to YouTube. It's in their mind, there's just a handful of channels where you can source content while we grew up thinking there's a whole new, there's a whole bunch of places where I can go to get ideas. 
So yeah, I think that's going on a little bit. And unfortunately, we don't see it, but these little changes, like stir up, we ask ourselves for this kind of confinement because of fears. I don't want to be, I'm not saying that not being followed is bad. It's just that the, way, the, the more that you want to regulate what you see, then you have to scale up the intervention from government and also corporations and just a natural thing to happen. Yeah. yeah. And that's probably a Sorry, long ahead, ways Robin. away. That, yeah. We're, we, this got really deep really quickly. This, <laughs> this went from, from, from Safari 14 to like how to manage the internet, it, it, solving global, global problems all in one. Sorry, um, uh, well, while but, you guys were thinking about that, it, again, I went back to the big publishers and this is like the second, like it hit well, a lot of big things, but it was what, like eight months ago, Google changed how they wanted links to be done from the large publishers. So if you're linking out and somebody's paying for a link in your site, there's like the rail sponsored. So like you have to put like a sponsor tag. So again, for a publisher, it's like the display ad portion is going to be difficult for a period. And then the change in that, it changes how people then would have paid to have content on a site because that no longer has value, which ultimately for the user, which we all want to serve the user well, but all these changes do make for a better end platform, but for internal marketing teams and external marketing teams that work on these sites and handle everything from how do we manage links and how do we monetize these sites? It just is a totally different way to start thinking around how do you do that? Cause it's now on the paid and affiliate side of things as well. So, yeah. Yeah. Like those, again, they're going to have to evolve their business models fast and change really quickly because suddenly a well, cash cow doesn't really work as well. Yeah. But it seems like a lot of those, a lot of like large publishers have been t- making moves in those directions too. I know it's like a Buzzfeed media has been changing and evolving really fast. I mean, even some larger publishers like NBC um, is trying to create like a really content and commerce focus. So yeah. Yeah. I've some, seen some of that too. Again, I think it's all good for the users. It just means that there's more for, again, marketers, internal teams, large publishers, even smaller, smaller publishers. If you have a WordPress blog and you update it to the most recent version and you click on a link, you now have so many options as to how you want that link to open. Do you want it to be follow, no follow, sponsored, not sponsored? There's all these different tags that you can choose between now where it used to just be like open in a new tab or not. Now it's what does half of this mean for small businesses that click on it and they just don't even know what half of that stuff is now. Yeah. I'm really happy that we have explored this topic I, and I had just predicted or guessed that we went, as Robbie were saying, you're from safari to global domination. <laughs> but I really enjoyed the time, guys. And hopefully this is not going to be the last time that we spoke together and, and shared about other things that are interesting in the marketing world. I had a great time and I hope our- Yeah, thanks, Emilio. Yeah, yeah. Thank you. Thank you for this, Emilio. Every time we have these conversations, I feel like I'm shot out of a marketing can and I'm just excited to, to do good work and, and share ideas. So thank you very much for this. Thank you, guys. Definitely. Thank Everyone you. have a great afternoon and see you in the next episode. Have a good day. Okay.